brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. everybody, J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer here, another Baseball America Playoff podcast. We are, we are where we want to be, which is, is as we head into Game 3, if you are not an Astros fan, if you are not a Phillies fan, I think that I can raise my hand for that. You're rooting for a good series, and that's where we are. As we sit here going into Game 3 today, as we get ready to talk to Kyle, who is getting ready to cover Game 3 today, we have a series that still feels like we haven't even reached the fulcrum point yet. And that's because of we had two games this weekend, one in which the Astros jumped out to what seemed like a pretty massive lead if you have a 5-0 lead and Justin Verlander on the mound. And then the Phillies proved that even a five-run lead is not enough against them. And then you had the Astros taking a 5 nothing lead in game two holding on to it. But again, the Phillies showing that even a five, nothing lead is not something that you can just feel safe about. Kyle, uh, as you get ready again to, to head to, you know, to cover game three, what do you, I mean, is this what we can hope for from the rest of the series to see games where it's like, even if someone does jump out early, these lineups are good enough to, to make it continue to be compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's a little cold here in Philadelphia. It's uh, 51 degrees this morning, which may be warm for uh, the East Coast folks, but for us Southern Californians, it's very, very cold. Um, but yeah, look, Jeff and I talked about this a lot on our World Series preview podcast, really our podcast throughout the postseason, that both of these offenses are never really out of a game. And we saw that. That's my biggest takeaway is from, from the first few games of the series. Game one, as you said, the Astros are up 5 nothing. Justin Verlander is on the mound. And not just Justin Verlander, but the arms the Astros have in their bullpen and it didn't matter the Phillies were still able to come back and win 6-5 and then game two as well again the Astros were ahead the whole way out to a 5 nothing lead again but the Phillies had the tying run in the on-deck circle in the ninth inning I mean the Phillies are never out of a game and a big part of that is again this bullpen has been maligned for a long time and at times deservedly so but They've been doing a pretty good job of holding the line in this World Series. I mean, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, both of them got hit hard. Both of them did not pitch well. Both of them were not their best. And the Phillies bullpen, and, and yes, they use Ranger Suarez, who's a starter in game one, but they held the line enough for the to give the offense time to, to come back in game one and then at least stay in it in game two. And then that's really the second part of my biggest takeaways from the series. And we've seen it. The Phillies bullpen did enough to win. Um, you know, games three and four, uh, well, game four in particular, the NLCS. I mean, they're pitching well enough at the right time. It, but the other thing that you touched on there that does stand out, and it's really true of both these teams, but when you have lineups that are this deep, there are there are off-ramps. When Martin Maldonado comes to the plate, it it is not the same as if Jordan Alvarez is at the plate. But you are talking about teams here. And when you talk about when you get to the 
to the to the bullpens as you're trying to figure out how do you match up. Lineups that are this deep are much more troublesome to figure out than lineups where it's a little bit kind of a little bit more stars and scrubby. Like you look at this Phillies lineup and there are a lot of different players, especially at the top of this lineup that can hurt you. You look at the Astros lineup and pretty much you got to get to about seventh in the lineup before you start to get a little bit of a break. We saw it obviously with Kyle Tucker in game one, Kyle Tucker. If you said over the totality of the season, Kyle Tucker is second, third, fourth best hitter in the, in the Astros lineup, depending on the time with Bregman and Altuve. And I say, Jordan's been better than him all year, but when Kyle Tucker gets hot, Kyle Tucker can carry a team. And we saw that in game one, even in a game that they didn't win. We saw Kyle Schwarber, who again is not, you know, is not the best hitter in the Phillies lineup, but is a guy who with one swing and came so close to a home run that uh, they had to review it about four times, you know, look at about four different replays, which by the way, I shout out to replay that we actually, you know, that they, that they do have those kind of situations, but um, you do have uh, a lineups where this is going to be a challenge for both of these teams. But now as we, you know, as we kind of, we want to look back and look forward. The thing that does stand out, like as you look at game three, four, five, what stands out to you about as this series goes to Philly, what should we be looking for today? Yeah, I think you mentioned in the intro that we haven't really reached the fulcrum point of the series. I think we're about to reach it here. And what I mean by that is we now are entering the part of the series where the Astros have a heavy, heavy, heavy advantage on the mound starting pitching wise. You have Lance McCullers versus Noah Syndergaard and what is essentially going to be a bullpen game for the Phillies here in game three. And then you move to game four, you know, Christian Javier versus Ranger Suarez, who again is a good pitcher, but you know, he's coming off of, of throwing in relief in game one. It'll be you know, three days since then. And look, throwing in relief in a World Series game is not the same as a side day. It's not the same as a pen day. It does take more out of you. And um, we'll be able to see kind of what he can do. But in both cases, you know, these are the games where the Astros have the heavy advantage. And and these are the games they really, really need to win because I, I go back to the NLCS where it was kind of similar. You know, the Phillies started in San Diego. It was 1-1 coming out of there. Game three, Joe Musgrove versus Ranger Suarez. That's Edge Padres. And the Phillies came out and beat Joe Musgrove. And then game four, the bullpen game, the Padres are out 4 nothing and 6-4 and with a better, deeper pitching staff. But the Phillies offense jumps on him multiple times, eventually comes back to take the lead, and their bullpen holds the line enough. Once the Phillies won game four, the series was, was pretty much over. Obviously, they came back again in game five. But, I mean, the Padres missed the opportunity to take – really control the series and the Astros have a similar situation here in games three and four, where you look at the starting pitching matchups, this is where they have a chance to take control and, you know, potentially put Philly away if they win all three, but even if they just win these first two where they have the heavy edge, this is their opportunity. And, and that's what I'm going to be looking for is, is can they take it and can they hold down this Philly's offense, which as we've talked about is never out of a game. So it is something where you look at this, it's pretty clear. That the the next that the Astros starting pitching depth has been one of the the key stories of the postseason so far, just because they have they have more starters than they have spots to start in the postseason, which is not really normally something that you see. But we do want to talk about probably the underrated at this point may be strong, but we do want to talk about the the 
the hidden star of the Astros rotation right after this quick break. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And we're back. So Kyle, game two, we do want to, we're looking forward and we're looking back, but game two, I don't know at this point, if you're paying attention, it would be hard for me to imagine a baseball fan who doesn't kind of understand that Framber Valdez is really, really good. But, but the thing that comes out to me after watching yet another impressive Framber Valdez start is the fact that the Astros have a pair of aces fronting their rotation. And I, I know that Justin Verlander's stats in the World Series are very different than his stats everywhere else, but I'm still calling him an ace. He's an ace. He's one of the greatest pitchers of our generation. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's an ace. Framber Valdez, though, is also at this point an ace. What stands out to you most about how is he as as good as he has been? And when I say as good as he has been, if you look at obviously he was 17 to 6, 2.82 with the with 200 innings this year, which uh that's ace. That's that's what you're looking for. But he's also now in the postseason, two different years where he's made three starts with a sub two ERA in the last three years. What is it that stands out? Why is it for that Framber Valdez is as good as he is? I mean, there's a lot to it. I think it's important you pointed out the durability there because, again, this isn't a guy who is racking up wins, but he's only really going five innings and, and getting the benefit of a great offense and a great bullpen. This is a guy who's giving you seven or so innings every time out. He led the American League in innings pitched this year. He led the American League in complete games. He led the American League in batters faced. I mean, this is a true ace who is pitching deep into games from the left side. I, I think what just jumps out to me is it's funny. I was, I was talking with Jeff the other day. I could watch a constant loop of Framber Valdez's curveball, just, you know, 24 hours. I mean, that thing is absolutely beautiful. And, and taking kind of the Baseball America perspective here, we throw grades on so many different pitches and talk about so many different players. This is what an 80-grade pitch looks like. Framber Valdez's curveball is an 80-grade pitch. 146 opponent average against it, 196 opponent slugging percentage against it, a 45% whiff rate. I mean, visually, statistically, the results, this is what an 80-grade pitch looks like. A pitch that batters know is coming, you know it's his bread and butter, and you cannot do anything with it. It is it is a joy to watch if you are not a hitter in the batter's box <laughs> when he's pitching it. But it, the thing that this also does mean, and i got bad news for you Astros haters, and I know there are a lot of them out there, but Obviously, Justin Verlander is 39. Justin Verlander also, you know, we don't know how many more years. We don't know where he's going to be playing. He may be back in Houston. He may not. But whether he is or not, the reality of it is, is that the Astros have a young pitcher in the prime of his career who you would be quite comfortable because Verlander's there. He's pitching game two. I don't think that anyone would have any qualms. I think... 
I think that there are 25, 22, 22 to 25 teams out there that if you had game one of the World Series, you would want Framber Valdez over your best starter. I can think of a few starters that maybe I would choose still ahead of him. And you talk about it like Sandy Alcantara, when we come to durability and all that, it's doing it, you know, in, in Miami. So there's not a whole lot of attention to it, but he wins the durability crown right now, the ability to go deep in games. But this was, we're talking about one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I, it's one of the things I love about the postseason is, is that it kind of helps reinforce that to people who haven't been watching the Astros all year. It's like, it's time to kind of wake up to the fact that there are not many pitchers in baseball who are better than Framber Valdez. But the thing that you touched on that you talked about is now we're going to game three, game four, and the drop-off for Houston is significant. Yeah, again, I mean, you go right into Lance McCullers starting game three. He's, I mean, when healthy, a guy that if you were to say, yeah, we want to start this guy in game one for some teams, you'd be like, yep, no, I could see it. And Christian Javier, again, is is really, really underrated, really, really good pitcher as well. I mean, this is the opportunity for Houston. Again, Noah Syndergaard, I mean, they've been open about it. They're hoping to get three innings out of him tonight in game three. But again, I just want to highlight this Phillies bullpen has thrown eight and two thirds scoreless innings so far in the in the World Series. Again, we knew Serenthi Dominguez and Jose Alvarado were filthy, and it was interesting seeing uh, Rob Thompson be as aggressive using Alvarado in Game One uh, as he was, but worked out. And same goes for using Ranger Suarez in a big spot later that game. But even you know guys like Andrew Bellotti and Connor Brogdon are stepping up, and it makes a big difference going from two and a half relievers you can count on if you throw Zach Eflin in there uh, the way he's kind of converted to the pen and taken to it with Dominguez and Alvarado but you know now you have guys in that kind of that bridge role you know the Bellotti and the Brogdon where you feel okay sending them out there and you don't have to use Dominguez you know every day out there I think back to the 2017 World Series when the Dodgers used Brandon Morrow just about every single game and he was gassed by the end of the series I mean you have to give these guys a little bit of a break so I think the emergence of the rest of the pen doing a good job holding the line. It's something where I think the advantage the Astros have today, it's still significant, but it might not be as significant as we thought a couple weeks ago, the way these Phillies bullpen arms are throwing right now. And the other thing that's really going to be interesting is how the Phillies play here at home. They went 47 and 34 at home this year. It was the fifth or sixth best home record in baseball compared to 40 and 41 on the road. I mean, they're a completely different team at home. They're 5-0 at home in the postseason as well on top of that. And the thing that kind of blew my mind, I've repeated the stat a few times, credit to Philly's PR for pulling it out. Since Citizens Bank Park hosted its first playoff game in 2007, the Phillies have the highest winning percentage at home in the postseason of any team in Major League Baseball. This is a team that plays really, really well at home now and historically plays really, really well at home during the postseason since their ballpark opened. I got into Philly last night. The city is draped in red. Uh, there are a lot of Eagles jerseys walking around. Eagles Steelers was a pretty big game. Oh, yeah. Big I, game. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but, um, talk about that. But, you know, there's a big banner in City Hall. All the light poles are covered in red. It's going to be wild here. And, and that's something. Look, this is a, a Philly team that has talked about how much they feed off the crowd. And uh, the results bear it out. So that that is one other edge the Phillies have here, being at home with this crowd. It's going to be wild tonight. I'm hoping the rain holds off. We're supposed to get some starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, but it's going to be it's going to be a fun game. And I, I really do think this is where the series is going to turn here. Games three and four. If the Astros can take advantage of their pitching edges, they've got it. 
But if the Phillies are able to take two of these three, I mean, they're going to be in a really, really favorable position. One other question I have for you before we wrap this one up. So Nick Castellanos has now had another, um, you know, impressive catch. That was important. We have talked about, I, I don't think that anyone in the world looking at these two teams does not think that the Phillies have a disadvantage when it comes to defense. This has been true almost throughout the entire postseason. I mean, if you have an outfield that has Schwarber and Castellanos in the corner, if you have Reese Hoskins at first base, who I think Reese Hoskins would tell you is not the most accomplished first baseman defensively. He's no Freddie Freeman or, or any of that sort over there. Is uh, is it that because of positioning and all, defense may not be you know the as important as maybe I'm making it out to be? Or is it that we're having Phillies players make maybe plays that would have been a little easier for someone else that they're making the tough play, but it feels like so far the defense has not really come back to hurt them, even though they have approached this with a lineup of if given a choice between defense, they've chose offense as far as roster construction pretty much every time. Yeah, well, well, there's a couple things here, and and again, I you know I think our podcast listeners have heard me talk about it. Yeah. Um, a couple things, you know, first and foremost, making Bryson Stott the everyday shortstop uh, late July, early August after he came back up, and acquiring Brandon Marsh to play center field every day uh, at the trade deadline. Those are two things that really, really improved the Phillies up the middle defense, and you know everything kind of flows out from there. But look, guys are making big plays and big moments. We saw Alec Bohm make a, a nice play, you know, moving into foul territory and making the throw across the diamond. We saw Nick Castellanos, as you said, make a couple of nice catches this postseason. And, and I do think some credit and some influence has to go to Rob Thompson. Um, you know, Kevin Kiernan, a uh, longtime columnist uh, in New York who now runs his own uh, baseball website, wrote about this a little bit. You know, Rob Thompson um, a, a lot of times was was doing work with the outfielders all his years coaching in, in New York with the Yankees. He's known as a true baseball guy, you know, you know, fundamentals driven, um, you know, instilled, hey, we're going to take infield every day. We're going to work really, really closely with the outfielders and, you know, help them kind of improve. And, and that's what good coaches do. That's what good managers do. They make their players better. They keep them sharp and um, he's done it all while maintaining a steady demeanor. So I, I really do think it's a combination of, again, they made some improvements within the season that made this defense better. And they, we saw that the last couple of months, they were playing better defense than they were earlier in the year. Then you have the right coaching. Again, Nick Castellanos actually um, appreciated his candor in the post-game one interview where he talked about, hey, you know, sometimes I have trouble staying focused out there. It, it happens to the big leaguers too. It's not just uh, for, for the kids in Little League, but, you know, Rob Thompson and his coaches have done a good job getting guys focused. And I think anyone who who knows Bobby Dickerson um, understands that if you bring him in, your defense is going to get better. Um, we saw it with the Padres. We saw it with the Orioles. Now he's doing it with the Phillies. So I think having Thompson and Dickerson is a pretty good combination in terms of defensive coaches. You improve the personnel. I, I think it's cool to see. Again, this is all, you know, in hindsight, we can see this. I don't think anyone had the foresight to see Nick Castellanos and Alec Bohm making impressive uh, highlight real plays. But They've gotten better, and, and that's why they're here. This is a team that's much better than their 87-win record. Um, they've been on a 94-win pace since Rob Thompson took over as manager, and here they are. I, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for you because, by the way, you're by the time that you're doing this podcast tomorrow, you're probably going to have a little bit of ringing ears, I imagine, because <laughs> I do think it's going to be louder than loud there tonight for Game 3. It is absolutely positively 
it may be right now it has a chance to be peak Philly fandom. I, I mean, Philly's fans have had some highlights, but there's been a lot of lowlights too. When you talk about the totality of the Phillies and the Eagles and the 76ers and all that, right now is about as good as it gets if you're in Philly. Uh, it's So it'll be fun to see it if you're like me watching from home or if you're like Kyle who will be there at the game. We'll be back again tomorrow to break down what happened in game three and look ahead to game four on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.